Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I'm Jesse McAnally. And I'm Andrew DeWolf. And welcome to Musicals with Cheese, a podcast where I try to get Andrew to like musical theater week by week and show by show. How are you doing today, Andrew? Oh man, I am so ready to scam the shit out of this sucker. <laughs> is he this like some podunk uh, country oh, hick? He really is. He sings uh, this this music that everyone seems to like, but... There's this one thing about him, right? He's uh, white. He's what? He's white. He's white. Um, I gotta do the the background music there. To oh yeah, you got it. Well, honestly, what really works is the push-ins, like the cinematography, <laughs> like very intense push-ins on the line. He's what? Like Tom Hanks is giving an understated performance in that moment in a very overstated characterization, but the camera's doing all the acting for everyone in that scene. That is such a good scene. I didn't expect it so early, but it, it's very good. <laughs> um, in case you haven't picked up what we're throwing down, about a year late, we are talking about Baz Luhrmann's Elvis film. Cue the music. Well, you may go to college. You may go to school. You may have a pink Cadillac, but don't you beat nobody's room now, baby. Come back, baby, come. back, baby, come. Come back, baby, come. So Elvis is a film written by Baz Luhrmann, Sam Bromwell, uh, Craig Pierce, and Jeremy Donner, with music by Elliot Wheeler and music and lyrics by a collective assortment of people, uh, ranging from like Elvis's songwriters to more modern folks, you know, like um, Eminem or you know um, Dua Lipa, all all the usuals, folks. You know, like it's just a a very strange little film. The film is based on the life of Elvis Presley. It was theatrically released in Australia on June 23rd, 2022, and United States on June 24th by Warner Brothers Pictures, who, they're just having a great year, aren't they? It was previously scheduled to be released in October 2021, but being delayed to November due to COVID-19 pandemic. This story was based on the life of Elvis Presley, as seen through the complicated relationship with his enigmatic manager, Colonel Tom Parker. And I love the idea of calling him that because he's not a colonel. He's not a Tom and he's not a Parker. He's a weird Dutch man. I mean, technically, he was an honorary colonel. He was given the title by a governor or something like that. I mean, you, yeah, governors can do that, right? It's like a well, it was a, not a colonel of the U.S. military, a colonel of the uh, like Louisiana Reserve or something like that. Okay, um, it, it's like a technicality. Just kind of like how Elvis the movie is a technicality of a musical. I, it's, yeah, it's a music movie. We've talked about that before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this sits right in the Star is Born category, I think. 
The only difference is there's no original songs written for this. Well, I guess that's not even true because there's like, you know, original songs by like today's uh, pop cultural giants. I would also argue that some of these songs are remixed so much. You might as well call them original songs. That's fair enough. Um, so what did you know about this film? And what's your relationship with Elvis Presley in general, Andrew? Elvis is he is an interesting character, like historically and in the music scene. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of arguments about whether or not he just kind of stole all his music from from the black community. Which this um, movie tries to address, keyword try. And, and honestly, it's I think that that's a hard question to necessarily answer. Like, even if you're coming at it in a, in like a good faith way, because yes, he kind of did steal a lot of his music, but also, I, I don't know, it, he didn't want to promote it as his own music necessarily, but uh, it, from what I recall hearing, it's like a lot of the kernel uh, in his way of promoting was like racist. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. It, it, like culturally, that's still kind of the impact he left, even if that wasn't his intention. Yeah. I think Elvis Presley. I don't know, like, as a figure, like, sincerely, he's kind of been a, I won't say a blank spot for me, like, he is more, like, it's asking, like, my thoughts on Ronald McDonald, you know, like, what's my thought on this cultural icon? He's no longer a human being anymore, certainly, he's just someone, someone does a parody of in the uh, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. He is an iconography as opposed to a human being, and... Not gonna lie, this movie doesn't do much to make me think of him as a human being. Sort of sadly, but also maybe it's for the best, but the movie isn't really told from his perspective. Um, And so we don't really get much into the way of, like, his inner thoughts and everything. It's more like, what does the colonel think he's thinking? Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And he comes off as brain-deadeningly naive in this, (laughs) like... Well, and I I think maybe part of that is because... Again, it's being told from the colonel's perspective, and that's right. how he sees him. He sees him as like a sucker that he can sort of manipulate into doing whatever he wants. And that's why he's so shocked when he doesn't do whatever he wants. <laughs> um, and I think of Elvis a lot like a Sinatra. Like, Elvis didn't write his own music, and I don't think he ever made claims that he did. But the way he sang them and performed them transforms like their status in the world. Yeah, it, he's he's a difficult uh, figure, though, because it's you can't deny that most of his fame was probably because black artists at that time couldn't get famous off right. of their work and were seen as inappropriate to play on the radio and blah, blah, blah. So, of course, when Elvis does all of the same sort of stuff, he's allowed to get famous and he's allowed to be played on the radio and all of this. Even though he did also get some, like, he still got some pushback as being, like, inappropriate or whatever, but Um, it it was, like, it was much less. It was much less than, like... Even this movie tries to frame it as. Yeah. And this movie does try to, I won't say both sides issues, but does try to give some credence to um, some black artists. Like, Little Richard and Big Mama Thornton do have places in it, um, and are major figures... Yeah, B.B. King in Elvis's life, but it does kind of ring hollow because Elvis didn't really bring people up with him in his fame and all that. In in the real world, he <clears throat> couldn't. Well, he sort of tried some, but it's all it's all like 
you know, scraps. Yeah. Like BB King, he gave some shows at his Vegas re- residency. He had BB King come and play some, but it's like this is like nothing, you know. Like mm. this, this is like you you have all of this fame and all of this like everything, and and you're you're giving them your table scraps, you know. Yeah. I mean, this film does a lot of things to kind of cover up the. The, the less appealing aspects of Elvis's personality. Take, for example, uh, Priscilla Presley. This film frames them as being contemporaries when they meet. Um, yeah. Would you agree? Do you know how old she was when he met her? Well, they say their ages in the movie, but I'm not even sure they're accurate. Isn't it like a, like a 10 to 20 year difference? Yes, there is. When he first met her, she was 14. He was 24. And he moved her into Graceland not long after meeting her. Yeah, they certainly make it seem like it's more of a he was 34 and she was 24 kind of situation. Nope. <laughs> um, which yeah. is a big iffy thing. And I'm looking I forward. I wouldn't say iffy. That's uh, just straight up. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're covering up for essentially, you know, pedophilia type stuff. Yeah. And that being said, later this year or probably next year, because, you know, the strikes going on, uh, Sofia Coppola is releasing a film called Priscilla all about Priscilla Presley and her relationship to um, Elvis. As, I'd be interested to see that, and maybe we could discuss that as well. I would love to talk about that, just to have, find an excuse to talk about that, and I like Sofia Coppola as a director um, most times. Um, but, what did you think about this film? Because this is a very weird film, and we've touched on Baz Luhrmann like once in a commentary before. So, he did Moulin Rouge, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I've said it in the past, I'm not, like, huge on Moulin Rouge. I, I don't think it's amazing. I think it's got some interesting visuals and everything. Mm-hmm. I think everything about that works much better here. I, I don't know why. <laughs> I really, I don't know what it is. I think it's maybe just that they're doing, like, a, a biopic, and it just, this is such a, a, so much more of an interesting way to do uh, a biopic than just, you know, straight historical facts and we got somebody who can uh, impersonate freddie mercury and and you know there you go yeah <laughs> um and this doesn't quite follow the same trajectory as say a bohemian rhapsody or even like uh rocket man this is not a traditional biopic which is the best thing for baz it Luhrmann. Is, yeah it's the best thing about it as well like it, it honestly i feel like i care more about elvis because of this than i ever would have if they were just like Here's Elvis's life, and we got a guy who sounds like Elvis to to do it. Like a okay. <laughs> famous guy that everyone knows is gonna do this Elvis Presley impression. Like I love John Carpenter. I love Kurt Russell. His version of Elvis starring Kurt Russell is unwatchable <laughs> because all I see is Kurt Russell doing an Elvis impression. Yeah, which you can go to Vegas and get that experience if you want. <laughs> yes, and, exactly. Um, that being said, I think if this were like. You need okay. There are two perfect films for Baz Luhrmann, and he has made both of them like things that would suit his sensibilities. The first one is The Great Gatsby. That is a very style over substance book, and he turns it into a very style over substance film. And it is the most accurate way to interpret the book to screen. And I thought that was a brilliant choice. And he takes it all the way up to eleven. There, here, he every transition is the most wild transition you've ever seen, and it keeps topping itself. 
absolutely like you go into the movie immediately it's just like what the fuck like we're <laughs> spinning we're spinning around the 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 hotel is falling into somebody's eyeball like what is what is happening <laughs> and it's not like it's just done for the sake of it it does get you more engaged into the story because you have to kind of engage and pay attention rather than just be like well all right Washed over me. Wait, tell me when Freddie Mercury gets his AIDS diagnosis and then recreate the iconic moments. I also think that because it's so stylized, it can kind of do like a more broad strokes kind of biography. Because, I mean, if we're talking like historical realism, I don't think this movie is particularly accurate. Um, It's not horribly inaccurate, but it definitely, I mean, there's, I I guess, spoilers or whatever. Elvis dies. Uh, in real but life, Elvis Elvis never fires uh, Colonel Tom Parker no. ever, and no one found uh, out d- about his background until the eighties. Yeah, so like all of that is completely untrue. But it's just like it's so stylized, you can almost forgive it because it's just it's not presenting itself as real life. Okay, you know? that I want to clarify. He kind of did, but not for the reasons presented in the movie. Not in the way that it happened. Not no, at all. it was still live, <laughs> and he did still kind of fire him publicly, but it was because of the treatment of, like, staff at his um, Las Vegas residency. It was much more complicated than that. Um, Yeah, the way that they're presenting it is very just simplified. You betrayed me, like, movie stuff. Yeah, which, again, it's. I think it's kind of fine, and I'm not even really upset that it's not super accurate, because, well, one, not many people really care about Elvis anymore. I I wouldn't say that. This film was really opened up uh, a lot of love for that person. I think that this movie maybe brought it back a bit for the modern age, but I want to say, and this movie even touches on it a little bit, but the Beatles sort of, like, just overshadowed Elvis, like, in every way. Um, Like, Elvis was, like, this big thing, and then the Beatles happened, and the Beatles are still remembered really fondly all the way to now. Like, I I was just at fucking work, and somebody was listening to the fucking Beatles on, like, full blast, and they asked me if I knew who they were. And it's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> that is kind of the only thing from that like mid to early 20th century that is still in the zeitgeist as much. Like, like I, Elvis I, is gone. Like, nobody listens to fucking Elvis. Like, your some people do. do, but my parents do. Everyone's so. parents does. Yeah, Christmas time, I guess. Um, I mean, no one's. I mean, yeah, I guess they are. And the thing about the Beatles is they didn't really do much Christmas music until their solo careers, and then we get the worst versions of their Christmas. Oh, yeah, we get the worst Christmas song ever. Uh, we get two of the song? worst Christmas songs ever. Simply having a wonder. Um, and he wrote then that we... in five minutes for a cash grab because he knew he would get pl- he would get plays every single year. Yes, but he said, <laughs> I was just trying to figure out how my synthesizer worked. It's literally <laughs> the reason why he wrote that song. <laughs> which is it's like i was trying to figure out how my synth worked and also like if i wrote a christmas song i would make a shit ton of money so <laughs> um yes and yes um but also john lennon's garbage song and so this is christmas and what have you do-? i think those are two of the worst holiday songs ever written and they get the and most they both play. Get play all the time Elvis's um, christmas songs are actually pretty good um uh, here it comes and they're all very distinctly him like no one does Here Comes Santa Claus like he does, and no one does Blue Christmas like he does. Um, he makes them come alive in a way where it's like he almost owns them as long as he's singing it. Yeah, but like, let's be fucking real here. No one is listening to Hound Dog, like, just 
Oh, they're like, oh, I'm I'm chilling at work. I'm, you know what? Let's put on some music. Let's listen to Hound Dog by Elvis Presley. I don't know. It was pretty big in the Lilo and Stitch movie. <laughs> if you're that person, let me know. Well, yeah, the, the reason Lilo and Stitch did Elvis, though, is because no one else was doing Elvis at the time. It made that movie kind of uh, stick out as, like, original. People know who Elvis was, but nobody, like, listened to Elvis. That being said, what did you think of Austin Butler's performance as Elvis? I think it was pretty good. There was certain times where I was like, he doesn't quite, um, I think he didn't talk right. His singing was pretty on, but sometimes his voice, well, like speaking voice, didn't sound like what I thought Elvis would sound like, but maybe I'm wrong. Elvis uh, had a very strange speaking voice. Um, he, he felt very presentational in the way that he talked. I've been watching a lot of Elvis footage and prep for this episode. Okay. And I so watched, maybe like, he's accurate. He's accurate. pretty accurate. But do you recognize him from anywhere? Uh, the actor or yes, Elvis? Yes, the actor. Uh, you're gonna tell me something that I really like that he's in, and I I don't know. What I don't it is. think that's the case, but it, it like I'm sure you were a big uh Ned's Declassified watcher. Is he Ned from Ned's Declassified no, he School is, Survival he's Guy? Not he was like he's, a recurring character. Then he was also in um Hannah Montana as a recurring love interest for Miley Cyrus. He was God also a uh, love interest for Miss iCarly herself. Um, in iCarly, he went through all the disney and nickelodeon shows for like years and years and now he's like i want to be a real actor and he never dropped the elvis voice he's yet to drop the elvis voice as far as we can tell and we know for a fact that's not what he naturally sounds like (laughs) so what a glow up i mean uh disney channel shows all the way to being an elvis you got to play Mm -hmm. elvis Mm -hmm. um it i think I don't know. So, what should have won the Oscars, really? Should it have been this, or should it have been Brendan Fraser in a frat, fat suit, eating to death? <laughs> I haven't seen The Whale, um, but I, I can't imagine it's better than this. Like, is The Whale good? No, it really The Whale doesn't is terrible. Look very good. <laughs> it, I, I watched, like, a little bit of a trailer or something for The Whale, and I was like, this doesn't, I, I don't think I want to watch this. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, this should have won. Yeah, it should. I mean, his performance didn't is, either of those win though. Wasn't there something else I won? Um, like what do you mean? What what won the Oscar? Oh, for best picture, everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which that that deserves it. I mean, <laughs> um, man, yeah, um, yeah, everything, everywhere, all at once deserves it. I'm just saying, if we're gonna be given best actor to someone not in that movie, which yeah, there's no best actor in that movie. Give it to Austin Butler. He, he he literally became Elvis for a year. Don't give it to Tom Hanks, though, because goddamn, what the oh, fuck is his have, accent? How have we not talked about Mr. Hanks, Chet Hanks' father himself? Tom Hanks, most famous for being Chet Hanks' father. That's true. Um, Yeah, um, <laughs> Chet Hanks, the, the most notable Hanks out there. Um, It's not a great performance, and I can't tell if it's just because he has the goofy makeup on. I think that his appearance is, like, okay, but the voice... He cannot figure out what his accent is supposed to be. It's like Dutch mis- mixed with Southern, and it confuses me. I thought me. he was trying to do Irish. Straight up, I thought he was trying to be Irish. Like, it, it's just, it doesn't... Maybe he's being incredibly accurate to what that person actually sounded like, but maybe that's not what's important, It is you know? not, because he just kind of sounds like weirdly old and Southern based on interviews. He's like, I was friends with Elvis all my life. And... Yeah, he probably does a Southern accent on purpose. Because that's literally what this, that's who this guy is, right? Because what did he say? <laughs> I'm from Huntington, West Virginia. Come on. 
Yeah, but he's talking in like this weird Irish. I, I'm wondering maybe that's intentional. We're supposed to like see him as a, a fraud. Like, we're not sure what he is. Like You're a fraud you know. Spider Man. But I don't know. I I feel like he should have just sounded Southern. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I can't even tell because. Every interview with Tom Hanks is like, oh, yeah, he's definitely a bad guy. You know, he's not a good guy. I'm not sympathetic with him. He did what he did. Like, you know, I just came into this because he's a liar. And I thought, wouldn't it be great to play a big old Hollywood villain? I just think he's a very interesting guy. I think I would have liked to see even more of him, really. But I would like he, to have seen really less of more? the accent. I love the con man stuff. I, I I think my favorite parts with him are literally in the first third where the, the, the weird Christian country singer is like, I'm coming in on an elephant. Yes, elephants always draw attention. <laughs> um, and Jody Smith McPhee, who is like incredible in the power of the dog, has a five second role is just the one that says, that's the thing. He's white. Uh, that is an incredible scene. Like that entire, we, we, we already talked about that at the very beginning. Yes, we did. That, that scene makes the entire movie. Um. But also, I think that those early scenes are really, really good. Um, every mm. scene before he actually signs Elvis is shot like a horror film. <laughs> with him, like, stalking in the shadows, like, like staring between things. And, like, he literally, he follows him into a mirror maze. And that's, how, that's where he, uh, like, officially meets him. Yeah. <laughs> this film does not go, it's not a subtle story. Um, oh, it, no, not at all. Which also could be a detriment where it's like from moment one, you know exactly where the narrative is going, but it tells it in such an extravagant way that you don't really mind. It's a fun watch. It sincerely is. Um, Austin Butler, for the first third of the film, when he's young Elvis, he is doing all of his own singing. After the comeback uh, concert, um, he basically is dubbed by the real Elvis Presley. And sincerely, you can't really tell um there's a good mix really? between when it is him and when it is elvis after that point but most of the time it's elvis recording so they did actual recordings from the elvis yes like. his concerts and all that and that's what you're supposed to do i think for biopics like the worst one is like i really hate what they did in bohemian rhapsody where it's just anytime he sings it's just a freddie mercury recording pristine and perfect bohemian rhapsody is just not very good have you seen it Yes. Yikes, right? I have actually seen it now. Um, <laughs> I didn't like it. That movie's uh, gibberish. It's like the, the film equivalent of slamming pans on a piano. Didn't it win an award for editing as well? Um, best editing and best actor. I mean, best actor, like, we, you can argue or whatever. I, that, there's no way that that, that that deserved best editing, though. Like, no. I don't know in what universe you could um, possibly even argue that the thing about the academy <laughs> is it is uh, a mass of people and a lot of folks think the most editing is the best editing and the same for acting they think the most acting is the best acting so just overacting things and over editing things is just that's good because more <laughs> yeah yeah it's not wrong um and the, it's worse at the local levels if you're in film festivals and all that um but we have our opinions. How about we compare our thoughts to those of the true critics of the people over at Letterboxd.com? It's time for previews. It's time for previews. It's time for previews. All right, Andrew, are you ready? This is the Letterboxd game, one star or five star, where I read real reviews from Letterboxd.com to Andrew, and he has to guess whether it's a one star or five star. Are you ready? A movie like this, I'm sure there's some very sane responses, so. All right, number one. 
Austin Butler needs to fill up my bussy. Five stars. That is a one star. Dude, like, who's writing this shit? Like, you write that and you give the movie a one star? Like, get the fuck out of here. Hmm. I wrote the- it. He's, he held his hand up. He wrote it. I, d- I mean, I just kind of <laughs> threw a thing, though. Um, I hope Baz Luhrmann knows he's paying for my, per- uh, paying personally for my therapy. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> if it hurt you that bad, five? That is correct. <laughs> I don't know. You gotta. Sometimes you just gotta do the opposite of what it seems like it should be. <laughs> yeah, uh, you're not wrong. He done came back from the grave to clown on Priscilla Presley once again. Um. Well, she's getting her revenge next year or whenever that movie's coming out. I guess. Yeah. Uh, probably not next year, actually. Uh, <laughs> All the movies you're excited for at the end of the year have no plans on seeing them. Just, just, just. Make Don't peace plan with on your watching god. Any movie, any and movie. Oppenheimer was the last film you're gonna get to see. Barbie was the last film you're gonna get to see. All of them are getting pushed COVID style. Uh, Oppenheimer and Barbie will be in theaters for the next year and a half. Since, okay, <laughs> I'm a little pissed. So there's wait, two screens. Wait, let me give a one star or five okay. star before we forget what this one is. We're gonna we're gonna do five. Um, that is correct. Yes. <laughs> Um, so, um, Oppenheimer showing in only two screens in 70 millimeter in Michigan, one in Detroit, one in Grand Rapids, which is about three hours away from me. Both of them are sold out for their entire runs, including like Tuesday at 3 PM afternoons. And apparently one of them is at the Detroit science center, which is where I was aiming to go. And I was like, all right, I'll find out the time, but just let me get through this weekend. And all sold out. People have reached out via email. Like, Hey, you're going to extend to are Like, no. They're fucking destroying our theater. <laughs> like, no. We, we're used to showing, like, IMAX shorts. People are bringing their own food and shit. We don't have God concessions. Damn. We're a museum. Yeah, fair enough. So you're going <laughs> to have to drive to fucking Grand Rapids, because that, that one will probably will extend. Yeah, <laughs> I hope it'll extend. I hope, like, you know, if it does go the rest of the year, and I get to see it in, like, pro- proper 70 millimeter, that'd be great, because I missed uh, the hateful late when they did that. Um, next one, though. I didn't know Doja Cat had been around since the 1950s. I don't know what Doja Cat is, so I'm going to give it one. That is correct. Ooh, I'm, I'm on a roll, okay. You are, you are. Do I need to say anything? Five stars, the movie speaks for itself. That is correct. And last oh, one. Shit. Okay. Congrats to Baz Luhrmann for making the world's first two and a half hour movie trailer. <laughs> Which I get, that is a fair critique. Yeah, that, I mean, it is sort of edited in that way and like, okay. That sounds like a negative. I'm gonna go one. We're gonna. That was a five go... star. Fuck me. Of and course that it is was. a letterbox game. Woo! I think I did pretty good there, though. You I did pretty I only, good. Only got two wrong. I was pretty impressed by the that the streak you were having. Um, how about we go into a mid show and then we talk about some of these song sequences. <laughs> Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. 
You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life altering. And if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Hey, 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 mm-hmm. welcome to our mid-show. Today's show is brought to you by the Extreme Kind of Oceans by our patrons over on Patreon. Oh, oh. Tell us about Patreon, Andrew. Oh. Patreon's where you can go if you want to give us some sick cash, some of that snow. It's our snowball scheme, you know what I'm saying? Uh, so, yeah. Call me the call me the the snowman, cause the snowman um, strikes again. We're rolling in the, we're rolling in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> this bit is over. Okay, I can't go any further with this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining a producer over at BPN, like, oh yeah, there there there's some radical new podcast, but no, that's the thing. They're what? They're the what? Why? <laughs> Oh, but the folks supporting us currently on Patreon are Melissa Goldman, Danielle Renix, Jess the Sampede, Ewan Cassidy, Monica Thoreau, Brent Black, The Thin Stacey Kumar, Joseph Evans Green, Mary Lou Shoka, John Farnells, Russ Walker, Musical Hell, Emily Gracie, Kyle Summers, Janae C, School in the Technical Dream Code, Liz Lib, Nothing is Certain Except Birth and Taxes, Thespian Jessica. T, Mitchell Young and Chatty Cup, Katie McDonough and Chris Marcote, KG Marie Anastasio, Layla Arjay Norija, Fjorn Hermans, Oriana Frazier, Sammy the Adequate Amount Jacobson, Lyanna Morton, Kaylee Blazier, Cinema Geddon Reviews, Sidney Smith, Sophiana the Omega Geek, Paige Pearson, Maddie Wargo, Lisa Erdman, Anna Luskatova, Sarah Dan Blackyear, Evan Bone, Zachary Torres, Mora Morasso, Mora Forloin, Captain Rotastic, and Lisa M. Possessed Washing Machine, and Renee Thomas, Nick Roten, Puffy Boy Summer, Julia Hardy, Jay Kusia, Caitlin Bridgman, Sidney Hicks, oh, Anna Bale, and Billy Clifton, oh, I'm Billy Clifton, oh, they all give us financial uh, that was, support. That was painful. Uh, you should say you're sorry right now. I'm not going to apologize for my music, sir. I, I'll make no apologies. I'm, I, I, I'm, I have become Elvis Presley, much like Austin Butler. I, this is just how I talk now. They give <laughs> us a little financial support that helps us keep the lights on here at Musicals with Cheese. Come join us. Also, from Monica Thoreau, get your eyes checked. And don't fall asleep with your contacts in. <laughs> All right, Elvis is dead and I killed him. Let's get back to the show. So this is where it gets difficult because the main things I really want to talk about are the times where we actually let a number exist. Like the Elvis's opening scene where we introduce him and we build him up for a minute and then we just let him perform is probably one of the best musical numbers I've seen on screen in years. (laughs) 
Colonel Tom Parker is building him up, and he's like, "Who is this man? Who? What? Wh- what's going on with this guy? Like, I, he looked like nothing I had ever seen before. Oh my gosh!" Um, and then he, we flash back, and we see him pretending to be Shazam from the DC universe, and then we just have, like, yep. what's the song called? It's like, "Oh baby, it's, baby, baby." It's Elvis's uh, first song that he ever recorded, isn't it? Oh no, it's Pink Cadillac. I'm 100 percent sure of this because I have the film up right now. When he first performs Pink Cadillac, it is truly a mesmerizing moment. Editor's note, this song is called Baby Let's Play House, not Pink Cadillac. Jess is just wrong. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. I'll trust you. Absolutely If if you're wrong, I will embarrass you in the editing. You should, (laughs) and I will deserve it. But I feel like right now, having the film clip right in front of me, having Tom Hanks like, no, that little skinny boy did that dancing thing, all the entire world world erupted. My God, Mm -hmm." I really like um, the the part where the songs where he's a uh, where he's a kid though, and he's in the um, like the the church tent, and they're also singing spirituals. uh, they're singing the spirituals, but also the guy on the guitar is singing like a blues song and they mix them both together. Yes. Like, uh, that, that part is really good. I think what one thing that's very... What do you think of the mixing of modern music with like the old, older mid 20th century? I wasn't a huge fan. I'm going to be honest. Really? I feel like okay. every time, every time like a, like a rap song popped up, I was like, this just doesn't feel like it belongs here. I think they should have leaned more into just blues and spirituals and that type of stuff which is more of elvis type music you see if this were any other film and by any other director i would 100 percent agree with you <laughs> like i think but the thing is when when they modernized those songs i didn't mind it it was more like when elvis is driving and then suddenly it just sounds like he's playing a rap song on his radio and it's like what <laughs> Like, that doesn't make sense. Like, that's not something that would exist back then. Like, why is that even here? Um, I don't know. Like, I don't mind it when it's like, you ain't nothing but a hound, and then Doja Cat comes in. I, I don't mind that. Yeah. You ain't nothing but a When I do mind it, I like I get very distracted in Inglorious Bastards when Tarantino is just playing modern music whenever he wants because he doesn't really want to hire a composer. Like that distracts the yeah. fuck out of me. Um, but here it's like, no, it is the present commenting on the past and showing its influences the same way Elvis showed his influences to his past and all that sort of things. I get I what they're doing. What they're doing, like I get why they're doing it or whatever. <laughs> I just, I don't know. It didn't fully work for me i don't think i feel like they needed to do more with it if they mm-hmm. were gonna do it but it only felt like it popped up a couple times where i like fully noticed it um and when i did fully notice it it was when it was like very distracting yeah that's fair enough let's talk about the 68 comeback special like series of songs and sequence altogether, which is i would call it like it could have probably been its own little short film <laughs> As opposed to, like, a proper narrative in the middle of the story. I thought that the whole comeback special part was great. 
Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, um, it feels like Elvis is like last hurrah before he gets uh, dragged back down by the colonel. Yeah. You know? Uh, um, and yeah. then you've got like his, if finally building up to If I Can Dream, where it is, well, they did some, you know, storytelling trickery to make you think like RFK got shot while they were filming it, which is decidedly not true. There must be peace and understanding sometime. Strong winds of promise that will blow away the doubt and fear. If I can dream of a warmer sun where hope keeps shining on. Yeah, I mean, I think most people would almost assume that that's not true, though, because it's so mm-hmm. convenient. It was a bit, <laughs> yeah. Um, let's talk about, uh, let's go down a, a tangent hole that I really want to talk about, and I don't think anyone else is. So, you know that producer that, like, Mel- Elvis meets with on the top of the Hollywood sign, um, and is like, you, you're, 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 you're cheesy, you're bad, you're, you suck, we gotta make you edgy again. Go back home, and all that. Yeah. He's a notable person in... Uh, uh, television. Um, as far as I'm concerned, he the the character is Steve Binder. Um, who is a real life producer, writer, and director of television, especially in the mid 20th century, and was involved with a lot of holiday specials. One in particular, he was the director of the Star Wars holiday special and portrayed beautiful in this movie. <laughs> as this like edgy like no 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 we gotta do this and like literally 10 years to the almost to the day after he's doing this elvis special he is directing the infamous star wars holiday special and so now, he ev- somehow saves elvis's career in a way and nearly and destroys star wars nearly destroys star wars 10 years apart <laughs> honestly i want that film I want the film about how the Star Wars Holiday Special came to be. Get the same actor that plays Steve Binder um, and just put him put him in another like spin-off universe. And then all the trades will be like, spin-off of Baz Luhrmann's Elvis coming out next it's a year. Spin-off, and it's called it's called uh, Chewy or something like that. <laughs> or Lumpy. Lumpy. <laughs> Lumpy, a Star Wars story. <laughs> they, do, they do the trailer, like they have like Lumpy up by the Hollywood sign and, and he's like He's like, no, no, you're. He's like, you're, you're not cool anymore. It's your time to get out of your father's shadow. You ready to star in your own holiday special? <laughs> and lights. L U M P Y. Twenty twenty five. Oh man. <laughs> So I like to play a game whenever I watch this, which is drink every time you hear Unchained Melody, because they love playing that, both as underscore or something. Uh, like they play the uh, the Carly Musgraves cover, I believe that's how you say her name, a lot, um, which is like a more recent cover. So what, what do you, what do you mean? Like what are you listening? Casey for? Musgraves. Just... So it's like ba da da ba da Like they play that as like a love theme and then they just play the Casey Musgraves version straight up in the film um which is like she's like a Lana Del Rey kind of artist. So you're talking about the the Wise Men Say song? Yes. 
Because yeah, you, you do hear that a oh, shit. Oh fuck, ton. fuck. I'm got, I noticed I, it. I got that confused. Can't help falling along. Unchained Melody yeah. is a wholly different song. I apologize. Play yeah, play the clown I noise. Say, I, I play think, the clown noises. I'm so sorry. I got because uh, I my, was gonna say the song I heard a shit ton was Can't Help Falling in Love. That's the exact that song on, I meant. On strings and uh, like mm -hmm. this have so many versions of that, and yeah, it is like the love theme, and mm -hmm. it's it's his theme between him and the audience as well. And I like I got real sick of hearing "Can't Help Falling in Love" like a thousand wise times. Men say I don't know if it's because I've shot too many weddings and I'm so sick of hearing the Casey Musgraves cover that every time I hear it, it is like triggering to the back of my head. <laughs> It is probably Elvis's like most famous song in a way. Outside of like the Christmas stuff, yeah. Well, yeah, but it, like normal songs, yeah. Um, but then you've got like, well, then you've got Unchained Melody, which I feel like most covers don't even use. Like most people don't even use the Elvis version of that. Like most people think of the one from Ghost. <laughs> I mean, all of Elvis's songs are covers anyway, so you know what? It's only fair that other covers overshadow his covers. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that's a true. Like, but no one's ever tried to do a cover of Hound Dog or Blue Suede's Shoes or Jailhouse Rock and even touched it. Heartbreak Hotel is another one where it's like, that is just Elvis's song. Whereas a lot of these other ones don't, don't quite have that same, like, untouchability. Am I alone in, in, in Suspicious Minds being my favorite Elvis song? I can't walk out because I love you too much, baby. Why can't you see? Oh, what's it doing to me? No, I, I think I that one's that pretty, pretty good. Um, it's very underrated. Although, honestly, I don't think I've ever heard If I Can Dream, and I heard it in this, and I was like, dang, that's actually really good. <laughs> I feel like it's just too much of a downer. Uh, I, I guess, but I mean, contextually, like, if it really is like a his version of a protest song, it's that's kind of not a downer. I don't know. Um, but if I can dream, okay, I want to talk about the the, the 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 TV special a little bit. Sure, it is a very strange watch. The actual um, TV special, not the 
I watched the the 1968 special, um, and I don't think it's effective in making him seem edgy or any of the other things that the movie frames it as, but more that it makes him seem likable and down to earth and it's the in-between stuff where he's just fucking around with the audience and talking to his bandmates that's the stuff where i'm like oh this is really shining and then he obviously will take the microphone and just go singing around and then you've got weird stripper dance scenes and like some of the most incredible sets but none of it is tied together at all like it'll just be one thing happens and i assume they'd cut to commercial but in all the edits right now it's just kind of like fade out, fade back in, and he's just mid-song, next song. <laughs> and then he's like, and we're about to wrap up because uh, we gotta get a new audience in there, and the audience is like, boo! He's like, oh, I just work here, alright? <laughs> like, little charming things that I'm like, and everyone's always so like, in the movie, they're like, he's gonna do a Christmas song, he's gonna do a Christmas song, and he's just in a circle with his band, each one of them has a microphone to his lips, and he's just finished like a set of three songs. And he's like, you know, Blue Christmas is my favorite Christmas song. Uh, and he just goes into it. And then that is as Christmassy <laughs> as it gets. It's a Christmas special. It, 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 I find it interesting as a Christmas special, too, because and my frame of reference for them is the Star Wars holiday special. That aired in mid-November and this aired December 3rd. So they were getting close to that December deadline is all I'm saying. Was do you think the backstory was true like that he went behind the colonel's back and made it into not a Christmas special and kind all that? of. So um Steve Binder who worked with Elvis was like we I don't think a Christmas special is going to do anything good. Do you want to do something a little wilder? And Elvis was like, "Yeah, I do." And so they just kind of didn't invite Colonel to the recording and told him different days for when they were shooting it. <laughs> They just fucking lied to him. Yeah, so they just cut. So it's not as traumatic as it is in the movie where he's like, no, stop this. But there was like threatened of lawsuits and then it aired and then they're like, ah, fuck it. (laughs) If we're making money, it's good. It it did so well. It doesn't matter. Yeah, kind of. (laughs) Do you think that in like real life, Elvis knew how badly he was getting screwed by the colonel? Do you think he was just friends with the colonel and like, I don't think they were friends. A lot of money. But like, uh, what what is the deal? Because he got a shit deal. Because they they split the money like fifty fifty, and then the colonel kept all the money from merchandising as well. Yes. Like, holy shit! What a bad deal. <laughs> it, I feel like Elvis. Like, the thing about Elvis is he seemed to have let his family run a lot of the business side, as opposed to hiring professionals. And you know, that's not always the best way to go about it, because you'll get easily screwed that way. Um especially with his father running his financials um, and not re- and basically being his business manager. And as suggested by Tom Parker, because he knew that he could manipulate him, I feel like those were the big pieces that really fucked Elvis in the long run. Yeah. Um, but um, I think Elvis ha- knew not to trust him in a weird way, but was trapped with him. And I, I get that. Contracts, I'll fuck, fuck with you a bit. I, I kind of just love the like idea that this guy you know tom tom parker is living the american dream you know gambling away his life savings shows up with nothing and then somehow ends up being so rich that he can gamble for the rest of his life and and still (laughs) one of the still die in like 1999 or something like that outlive (laughs) his meal ticket by many decades yes 
And the interviews post Elvis's death where they're like, people tell us that like Elvis's success was 50-50, uh, 50% Elvis Presley and 50% Tom Parker. Would you say he's like, no, it was mostly all Elvis Presley. Literally all I did was just sell the merch and book the shows. Uh, don't, don't you dare try to claim that he wasn't a, what he was. Like, I think and he it, feels bad now that Elvis is dead. I he mean, feels a little bad about it. I was shocked because like the way that this movie portrays him and all that, like guiltless monster, like, I don't know. I don't think he's that villainous in real life, but I think he did screw somebody over. Oh, and it was definitely. probably because he was like a con man. And maybe now that he's already done it and Elvis died and he's reaped all the benefits, he's probably feels a little bad about it. Well, <laughs> In the 80s, after everything got revealed of Tom Parker's not having a passport and all this, um, the licensing and rights to Elvis Presley's um, effects went back to his family after many lawsuits settled out of court. So he was no longer involved in that. He just got a payout and lived off that till he died. I kind of love the reveal uh, of him not being a American citizen or whatever and not having anything like that uh, because... If you didn't actually know about it, which I kind of didn't, honestly, right? It it sort of uh, makes a lot of things that didn't make sense start making sense. Like, why wouldn't he want him to do like a big tour? Why mm. why is he so worried about the uh, like police backlash when he's clearly uh, very willing to like push boundaries and stuff? And it's because it's like, well, he doesn't want to get arrested because yeah. he doesn't. He's not a citizen. He'll get deported. Like he doesn't. He doesn't have a passport, so he can't leave the country. Like it's all of these things that are like. My favorite like, part of real life, and they <laughs> never bring this up in the movie, is um, when he got sued by Elvis's co company and they find out like all of his stuff. Um, he tried to claim diplomatic immunity because he is uh, a man of no nations. Um, yeah, he, he, he pulled, what, what are those people called? Sovereign citizens, they yes. call themselves? He pulled that card, like, but for real. And then he, he got away with it because he's rich. So. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great to have money? The justice system is uh, literally just set up to let rich people do anything they want. <laughs> I do think uh, this will be my last topic before we wrap up. Um, the thing that fucked with me the most when I saw this in theaters and I was talking to my girlfriend on the way home, Mike, he was basically imprisoned in Las Vegas in that residency forever. Um, and it became like the place that worshipped him the most and where his iconography will forever be. Despite him wanting to be in Graceland the whole time, and that being the mecca he wanted, where are all the impersonators? Where are all the tributes? Where is everything? Everything is in Vegas, the place that he was basically imprisoned. <laughs> well, in a way, it makes sense, because Graceland is open to the public and is one of the most visited uh, yes. houses in the world. So, in a way, Vegas gets the cheap, shitty Elvis, and, and Graceland got the real deal. The emotional connection <laughs> Elvis. Um, yeah. <laughs> so this film was oversaw by Elvis's family, uh, his daughter Lisa Marie, who tragically died two, like two or three weeks right after the film premiered. Like her last appearance was like at the film premiere. Jeez. Of bowel obstruction. The same. <laughs> Is it genetic? Yeah. Uh, I and they just announced that like a week or two ago, and I saw it on the news. I was like, oh, I, Is no one gonna point this out? Jesus Christ, is it genetic? I don't know. Well, Ellis's was mostly caused by, by the barbiturates he was taking and had a heart attack because he couldn't use his bowels. Yeah. I'm grateful that this film had the tact to not, not 
show that because I feel like other films would definitely. Oh yeah, there would be the shot of him like dead on the toilet or something, and it's like, ha ha, ha ha. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just play that for for a cheap little laugh or whatever. Oh my lord! Oh! And you know they put fart noises, and it would turn into a red letter media skit, or it would look like the end of Escape from Tomorrow. Either way, Andrew, what is your overall thoughts on Elvis and your cheese rating? Well, my overall thoughts on Elvis is that it was pretty good, honestly. Um, I didn't expect it to be as good as it was, honestly. I, I really thought it was going to be kind of like too over the top or, or silly. Or too um, reverential. Yeah, or just like, but it, I, I don't even know, like just too, too um, broad. But honestly, if anything... It's a it's a movie with what should be no audience where it's like it's not for Elvis fans necessarily because it's not really like Elvis music. It doesn't like worship Elvis in that way. Uh, And who else would it be for if it's not for them? But then everyone liked it anyways because it's just a good movie. (laughs) I I, I post this on Twitter, but I also send it to you first. This film outgrossed the flash. This $85 million film made $288.7 million at the box office, and The Flash, which cost $500 million to make, made $267 million at the box office. You know? Okay, well, The Flash looks like it sucks ass, whereas Elvis, I mean, come on. (laughs) Elvis had one of the best trailers ever made, and the film reflects that trailer. What I think I really like about Elvis is that it's a movie that was willing to do some weird shit. (laughs) <laughs> and sure, it's the same weird shit that they did in Moulin Rouge or whatever, but it's still weird shit, and I think it works better here than it did in, in that, so. Imagine if uh, <laughs> Baz Luhrmann was hired to do a Marvel movie. Oh, bro, I would watch, like, that would actually be really good for, like, one of these multiverse movies that they're mm-hmm. trying to fucking make, but Marvel sucks ass now, so it's, it's not gonna happen. Um, and as far as the cheese rating, I'm gonna give it the Elvis Grilled Cheese Sandwich, which is a peanut butter, bacon, and banana grilled cheese. Um, sounds absolutely fucking disgusting, but it honestly kind of fits for this movie because it's just a mishmash of random shit that somehow I guess Elvis really enjoyed. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, one of the trivia pieces on IMDb is they do not show him making his uh classic sandwich, the grilled cheese with bacon or with the bacon, uh, with peanut, peanut butter, butter and bacon. banana. It is bacon. Oh, peanut Jesus. butter, bacon, and banana. There is bacon in there. Throw up. Um. I really like the Elvis movie. I think it's a good watch. Like I watched it in theaters, so I was like, that was fine. Um then I watched it again at home and I enjoyed it a lot more on the second watch. Um so even if you saw it the first time, you're like, I don't know if this is my thing. Give it another round. I think I think it's a lot more entertaining and engaging the second time. Um the only problem is Tom Hanks' performance is distracting, and I guess once you've kind of let that sink in and flow over you, you get over that. Yeah, that is the one downside. Tom Hanks like, I don't think he's a bad actor, but I don't know what the fuck he was doing with that with that voice. I, yeah, you should have uh, run I, it by Chet first. Chet would have told you, nah, dad, don't do Chet that. Chet would have said, don't do that. You should do a Jamaican accent instead. Here, let me show you. Um. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, I am giving this um, everything bagel cheddar cheese, because this film is kind of like a mishmash of everything. <laughs> um, On that note, you know what else is a mishmash of everything? Um, our 
patrons? Our wonderful patrons, which is we're trying to get literally as soon as we hang up with this, we're entering our Patreon meetup for this month. Um, thank you guys yes. for listening. Please follow us on iTunes, Spotify at Musicals with Cheese, or on Twitter at Cheese Musicals. We're on Threads at Musicals with Cheese, Patreon Musicals with Cheese, Instagram Musicals with Cheese, YouTube page Musicals with Cheese, Patreon only podcast Patreon with Cheese. Email us at musicaltheaterlives at gmail.com. Our keeper the cheese, Julian Antonio. ASMR. Elvis is great. Andrew DeWolf edits the show. Our themes are created by Robin Ash Vibe Music. Yeah, thank you to the Broadway Podcast Network. We're having this platform. All right, you ready to go? Yeah, I'm ready to go. All right. We'll see you next time on Musicals with Cheese. Suspicious minds. That was good. And we can't build our dreams on suspicious minds. So, quick question. Uh, believe this in, but um, Elvis Presley's granddaughter is an actor. Is that a Nepo baby? Does that count? I, how many removed do you have to be for it to be a Nepo baby? I feel like I maybe would count it, but didn't like Elvis Elvis lost all his money and shit, didn't he? Like Yeah. So I don't even know if it counts. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the Rise Theater Directory, a program of Maestro Music. Rise is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. America, we are endowed by our creator, with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu.